Well, good morning again, everyone, and welcome. It's so good to see you guys here today, the brave Buffalo tough souls that ventured out into this weather. And if you're tuning in online today because you didn't want to go out into the cold, snowy weather, and you are uh, going to watch this later from the comfort of your own home, I hope this message is a blessing to you, and we'll look forward to seeing you here in person next week. Uh, but if you're new with us, my name is Pete. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're excited to have you joining us as we continue our discussion on keeping the chain which I'll talk more about in just a moment. I first wanted to take a moment to encourage my church family and those of you that are journeying with us through this 21 days of prayer and fasting to keep going. Today marks the first day of the second week of this season of prayer and fasting. I don't know how many of you, like me, especially in the early part of this week, experienced a little bit of irritability. Am I the only one that gets a little bit cranky when I fast. I don't know if you're like that as well, but my wife and I might, are, uh, might have gotten into a tiff or two uh, because I think we're both experiencing some of that. But really, uh, fasting is a tool and a vehicle through which uh, we create space that God can then fill. And I pray that as we begin to maybe feel a little bit more weak physically, we would become aware that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And I'm praying that your relationship with God would go to a whole new level and he would reveal himself to you in a special way. And I just want to direct your attention once again, especially if you weren't here last week, to the insert that we put in your bulletin as we've got some daily prayer focus points that we're asking everyone to agree on together in unity and pray over these things together. And if you are newer to faith and prayer and fasting is something that intimidates you or that you've never really done before, we've put some resources together for you on the webpage lifechurchbuffalo.com slash 21 days, which is also written on the bottom of this insert, where you can learn a little bit more about what prayer and fasting is, why we do it, and teach you how to do it, because so many people, I think, don't do it because they don't know how. And so I'm excited for what God is going to do in your life as you devote yourself to not give up. Scripture says we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we've got two weeks to go. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Believe God's going to do some incredible things in your life as a result. I also want to encourage you to make sure you make it a priority to be here next Sunday as we get to celebrate baptisms of people who have experienced the power and the grace of Jesus Christ and are going public with their decision to follow him in baptism. This is always one of the most exciting services of our time together as a church family where we get to see people publicly declare the decision and the change that God has done on the inside of them. And so if you're newer to faith, if you're one of the people that has recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, or maybe you've been following him for 20 years, but you've never taken the step to get baptized, it's not too late to sign up. You can grab that yellow next steps card that Rich mentioned a couple moments ago. Check the box that says you want to get baptized. Take it to the back before you leave, and our team will follow up with you later on this week, and we'll get you all situated and be here. It's going to be at the end of this service next Sunday, and uh, I always love celebrating with people who are, are just letting the world know that Jesus is their Savior, their Lord. Well, we're going to continue our discussion today on keeping the change, a time of the year when so many people are setting out to begin the year intent on getting in shape, losing weight, quitting smoking, getting closer to God, whatever it is, you know, when it comes to the resolutions that we want to make, we, we often know what changes we need to make, but so few of us are really good at keeping the change. Why is change so stinking hard to keep? And my recent experience at the gym is cluing me in on at least one of the reasons why change is hard to keep. 
I shared with you guys last week that I've been more faithful at the gym in the last two, two and a half months than I've been in the last five years, maybe my whole life. And as much as I'm enjoying the, you know, uh, the strength that I'm, I'm feeling and, and the positive steps I'm taking towards becoming healthier and getting stronger, it's also producing a lot of pain. And my wife uh, has been asking, like, are you okay? Because you're really, like, moaning and groaning every time you get up and, you know, sit down. And, 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 and my trainer has said that, you know, it's when we, when we start to work out muscles that aren't used to working out, pain is a natural byproduct of that. But it's, it's, it's highlighting some things in me that I didn't expect and so much so that this pain that hasn't been going away the last couple of weeks, especially in my hips and lower back, I went to the chiropractor two weeks ago, who's also a physical therapist, and just explained to him what I'm experiencing. I said, I'm just tired of being in pain all the time. And he did his assessment and said, well, you have what's called anterior pelvic tilt. In other words, my hips are tilted a little bit too far forward, and they're also out of alignment, which is creating some pain in my body. And I came home from the gym, and I was talking talking to my personal trainer and explaining this to him, he's like, that's why so many people don't keep the change. He said, you know, they experienced that pain and they were more comfortable before the pain began. So they stop instead of pushing through the pain to get to the progress on the other side. And I came home and explained this to Kelly that if I just keep with, you know, my trainer said, if I just stick with these exercises and make the muscles around the weak joints stronger, it will realign my body and I will become stronger and not experience the pain. And when I said that to her, she goes, I want you to just pause for a second and think about what you just said, even as it relates to the series you're preaching. You're talking about physical pain and working out, but spiritually speaking, so many people set out to make changes, but as soon as they do, there's some pain that surfaces. It highlights some areas of unhealth, some dysfunction, some misalignment that they weren't aware of before they set out to make the change. And the pain keeps them from keeping the change, but pain is often the very thing we need to endure to keep the change. And I think that's a lesson for us today. Because I, I have found, and I've shared this with you guys in the past, that human beings are largely motivated by one of two things. What's going to bring me pleasure, right? We're motivated by things that are going to increase the, you know, the happiness of our life. What will bring me pleasure? And the other thing is, what will help me avoid pain? We avoid pain at all costs, which is a problem when pain is the very thing that we need to experience if we want to keep the changes, the big changes that God wants to do in our life. The change we want produces pain that, give, that makes us want to give up and quit. And until the pain of our current reality is greater than the perceived pain of the change we want to implement in our lives, we won't change. Like, for example, until the, the pain of addressing the, the hurts that you have in your marriage is less than the, the pain of actually losing your marriage and ending in divorce, you're not gonna be motivated to do the work and actually change the condition of your marriage. Until you realize that if you don't change the way you eat, a heart attack is inevitable and you could die, you're not gonna be motivated to change. 
which is why I'm trying to learn in my life and adopt this principle that I want to continually pursue discomfort because growth begins at the end of our comfort zone. In any area of your life that you're comfortable, I promise you, you're not growing in that area. But when we pursue continual discomfort, we put ourselves in a position where we're constantly growing. And that's where I wanna be. And not let pain keep me from experiencing this big life change that I know God wants to do in my life. That's what we talked about in week one of this series, which is that we wanna make big goals, big changes for our lives, but realize that as you do, it needs to be the change you need, not just the change you want. Let's address the the source, not just the symptom. Know the why behind the what that you're changing. Don't settle for spare change when God wants to do life change. But as you set out to change your life, realize that as Pastor Craig Rochelle says, it's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. Small things, big difference is the tagline for this series. Everyone wants the great marriage, the close relationship with God, the successful career. They want to be healthy and be fit and in shape and and be strong, but it's the small things that the people who have those things do that nobody sees, working out at the gym faithfully, saving up money, investing in their marriage, honoring God with the tithe, living beneath their means. It's those small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. But not everyone wants to do the small things. And so what are those small things? Last week, we started to break this down, and we went from big to small, and we talked about thoughts, words, and actions. And I introduced you to the very popular quote that our thoughts become words, our words create action, which become habits, and habits create our destiny. And I said that your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts, And it's direction, not intention, that determines destination. We all start the year with the best of intention of the changes that we want to make in our life, but it's not your good intentions that determines where you wind up. It's the direction that your life is moving that determines your destination. So that's why thoughts are so important. And we talked about capturing the destructive thoughts that keep us prisoner and focusing those thoughts on the spiritual truths in God's word that will move our lives in the direction of that Change And so I hope that you guys were able to kind of do the homework that I assigned to you last week and write down and identify one thought that's in agreement with God's word and what he says is true about you that's in alignment with the change that you want to make and just dwell on that. Think about that all day, every day. And I hope that you have started to do that. And I promise you that if you'll be faithful with that, your life will begin to move in the direction of that thought. But today we're going to shift our focus to our words because thoughts become words. And that's essentially what Jesus said in Luke 6.45 when he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And we need to understand here that the heart in this context is the mind. When you think about our bodies, our heart, which we associate with our feelings, it's just an organ that pumps blood. But out of the abundance of our thoughts, out of the abundance of our mind, the mouth speaks. Our, Our thoughts create words which will become actions and habits that will create our destiny. And those words have power. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 21, when he said, the tongue has the power of life and death. 
In other words, the words that we speak can be life-giving words or life-taking words. If you want to keep the change, the life change that God wants to do in your life, I suggest you change the words you speak. You want to change your life, change the words you speak because small changes and the words we say will lead to a big difference in the life that you have. And James kind of alluded to a similar principle like this in his letter. And if you're newer to faith and you're not sure about the, the Bible and the books in the Bible and who wrote them and Old Testament, New Testament, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus and scholars believe is some of the strongest evidence we have for the divinity of Jesus. And you might ask, well, how is that? Well, think about your own family. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? Right? Like James wasn't a follower or believer in Jesus before the resurrection. But then he met his resurrected brother. He's like, oh, you must be who you claimed to be. And James would actually become the leader of the New Testament church after Jesus ascended to his father. And he writes a letter. And I want to point something to you in James 3, verse 3 through 5, when he says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. A small rudder makes a huge ship Turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Small things make a big difference. You can speak life-giving words or life-taking words. Think about the marriages of people that you know in your life. Bad marriages, good marriages. What do bad marriages have in common? I guarantee you any bad marriage is one where there's a lot of life-taking words being spoken. As opposed to marriages that you would look at and say, that's a strong marriage, which one of the reasons I believe that Kelly and I have such a strong marriage is because we're both intentional about speaking life-giving words to one another. Think about the people in your life that you really don't like spending time with versus those that you really enjoy spending time with. What's the difference? My guess is that the people you don't like being around have a tendency to be very critical and negative and cutting, constantly speaking life-taking words, as opposed to the people that you really enjoy being around are people who are probably ones who are encouraging you and lifting you up. That's why I love my personal trainer so much. Ben Woods, and this isn't, you know, an aside, an unashamed plug here. If you want to get in shape, if you want to join a gym, check out my boy Ben Woods at STA Performance in Elma. He will set you up because this guy makes me believe that I can accomplish the goals that I set out to do. I've never met somebody more positive and encouraging than Ben Woods. I swear I could drop a 20-pound dumbbell on his foot. He'd be like, thanks for doing that. That's how positive this dude is but I enjoy being around him. I like going to the gym because he's always speaking life-giving words. In fact, Solomon, who many people refer to as the wisest man who ever lived, often compared and contrasted the difference between life-giving words and life-taking words. And I wanna just point out two of the verses that he records in Proverbs. The first is Proverbs 12, 18, when he says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Anybody ever been pierced by life-taking words before? Chances are most of us probably have. But the tongue of the wise brings healing, life-giving words. 
Another verse is Proverbs 15:4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, life-giving words, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. How many of you have ever had your spirit crushed by life-taking words before? Maybe it's something as simple as like, did you mean to do that to your hair? And you're like, well, I just got it done and I thought it looked good until you said that. Crushes the spirit. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Or maybe it's, you know, more heavy than that. Maybe your spouse after 20 years of marriage says, you know what? I don't really love you anymore. I found someone else. I don't know if I ever loved you crushes the spirit. Man, you're so pathetic. Why you always screw up? Crushes the spirit. Life-taking words. Never amount to anything. I wish I never had you. Some of you have experienced those words. On the other hand, has anyone ever experienced the healing and and the life that comes to your soul when people say, man, I'm so proud of you. I love being married to you. If you're a boss or a manager, like when you say things like, you know, you're doing such a great job. I'm so glad we hired you. Just brings life to your soul. When it comes to my boys, you know, especially because I grew up with this constant doubt and question in my mind that I'm not sure I really have what it takes to do what God's called me to do. Almost every single night when I pray over my boys before they go to bed, I say, buddy, you've got what it takes. God has put so many gifts and talents inside of you and you've got what it takes to do whatever God's put in your heart to do. And then I always end up by saying, I love being your dad. And then they say, man, thanks dad. We love being your son. Our house is a house where life-giving words are being spoken. Kelly will often say things to me like, thanks for leading us so well, babe. Thanks for leading our family so well. Thanks for leading our church so well. And when she says that to me, man, I feel like Superman. I'm like, man, I I love being married to you. Do you want to be married tonight? Because it just, it brings life to my soul. Life-giving or life-taking. Last week we did an exercise called a thought audit. And today I want to do a similar exercise. So if you want to pull out the notes insert of your bulletin, on the bottom of that is something similar. There's a typo on it. It says thought audit. That should say words audit. So if you want to grab a pen right now and actually cross out thought, write word above it. We're going to do a similar exercise and compare the words we speak in life-taking versus life-giving to others and the words we speak to ourselves. All right, so let's start with others. I want everyone to kind of play along, participate in this. If you're someone who is in the habit of just kind of always being negative and saying, man, why why you always mess up? You drive me crazy. Like our marriage, it's just such a mess. We're probably gonna wind up getting divorced because this is never gonna get fixed. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? If that's the kind of stuff that you're saying to others, you would circle a one, two, three, something on the left side of the spectrum. If on the other hand, you're somebody who's always encouraging people, helping build them up, saying, man, you got what it takes, buddy. I'm so proud of you. Like, I love being married to you. You're such a great wife. You're such a great husband. Hey, thanks for making that meal. That was delicious. If that's like what you say to other people, then you're gonna circle a number on the right side of this, more life-giving. 
Just be honest with yourselves and think about the majority of the words you say to other people. Are they more life-taking or more life-giving? Go ahead and circle a number. And now we're gonna look at the words we speak to ourselves. If you're somebody who is in the habit of just, man, I'm such a screw up. I can never get things right. I always mess up. I'm a horrible husband, father. I'm a horrible wife, mother. Man, things never work out for me. I never seem to catch the breaks. If that's the tone of the words that you say to and about yourself, then you're gonna circle a number on the left side of this spectrum. If on the other hand, you're somebody that wakes up every day and says, man, this is another day that the Lord has made. I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in it. My God is with me. He is for me. He's given me what I need to do what he's called me to do. I'm gonna nail this sales pitch today because I know that I have what it takes and I've studied and I've prepared. And as I lay my life down for my wife, our marriage is gonna get better and better. And I'm gonna be the husband and the father that my family needs me to be. Whatever it is, if that's the nature of the words that you speak to yourself and you encourage yourself in the Lord, then you're gonna circle a number closer to 10 on that bottom line. More life-giving words to yourself. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you speak more life-giving words to other people than you do to yourselves? Just about everyone in the room. That's what I suspected, and that's not surprising to me because I think that's human nature. We are, are, are very, um, we have a tendency to uh, be very critical of ourselves. Like for my own life, when I, I look at my past, I shared with you last week about my divorce. And in the aftermath of the divorce, people would often ask me, like, Pete, what's next? Like, what are you gonna do now? Like, and to this day, 16 years later, I, I still hear in my mind what I said probably hundreds of times to people in response to that question life-taking words that were, I always said, my dreams for my life have grown quite small. I no longer have aspirations to be used by God or do anything significant in ministry. If I could just maybe get married again and to a woman that actually loves me and wants to have a couple kids, and if I could just provide for my family, like that would be awesome. But I know I'm disqualified. I, I, I really don't think God is gonna be able to do anything with me. And my dreams for my life have grown quite small. I said that over and over and over again. Life-taking words. More recently in my illustration of the pain I'm experiencing and working out and the hip and lower back pain, a couple weeks ago, I found myself at home just complaining about the pain that I was experiencing. And I found myself saying over and over again, I hate my body. I hate my body. I hate getting older. I hate my body. Until finally I like caught myself and I realized, wait a second, like people who hate their body don't take care of their body. People who hate their body don't make good choices when it comes to the foods that they eat. People who hate their body don't go to the gym to get stronger and, and get healthy. And so I, I intentionally stopped saying things like that. Even though I was still experiencing pain, I didn't want to complain and say that I hate my body because of it. To the point where now this past week, I walked into the office on Tuesday, I think it was, and Pastor Joe said, hey, what's new, Pete? And, and I was about to say, man, I'm just in a lot of pain, and I stopped. And I thought for a second, I'm like, you know what? I am being made new every single day by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. That's what's new. Because the power of life and death is in the words that we speak. Now, if you didn't put a 10 on both of those, which I'm guessing none of us did, then there's a whole lot of room for improvement when it comes to the words that we speak to others and to ourselves. 
Because thoughts become words, words become actions which form habits, which create destiny. And it's the small things that we say that lead to a big difference in the life we lead. You wanna keep the change, change the words you speak. So today I wanna give you two powerful principles as it relates to life-giving words. And the first one I know is gonna be something that you've heard before. Uh, I'm gonna sound like a lot like your mama when I say this. I don't care though because your mama was right when she said, if you don't have something helpful to say, skip it. She probably said it like, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. It's so simple, but so powerful. And I I phrased it this way because of something that the apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, when he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That verse should be incredibly convicting to some of us this morning. When we think about the words that we speak, do they build others up or do they tear people down? Is it life-giving or life-taking? Is it grumbling and complaining or is it celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of God? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And listen, man, I know this is a simple principle and you're like, did I really just come to church to hear my pastor tell me something that my mom told me for 20 years? Yes. Because if we would just apply this one principle to our work relationships, our family relationships, I promise you your life would look a lot different. So simple, but so powerful and not enough of us live by this principle. If you don't have something helpful to say, skip it. I'm only gonna use my words to build people up. The second principle I wanna give you, I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on, and it goes like this. If you think something good, say it. So if the first was, if you can't say something helpful, skip it. The second is, if you think something good, say it. Solomon also wrote in Proverbs 16, 24, that gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Notice it doesn't say gracious thoughts are honeycomb. It says gracious words, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Why rob someone of a blessing? Like I wanna make this a rule in my life. I wanna live in such a way where every single time I think something good about someone, I wanna say it. I wanna say it. Why rob someone of the blessing? And I can't think of a better example of someone who has shown this to me than my wife, Kelly, whose life-giving words to me when my own were life-taking over myself, when I was saying that my dreams for my life have grown quite small, she was always speaking life to me and saying, no, God's got big plans for your life. His plans for your life are not forfeit. And as you follow him and as as he does a new work in your life, you're gonna accomplish everything that God has put in your heart to do. And I'm telling you right now, if God has done anything in your life as a result of being a part of this church, if you've experienced anything good or positive or life change, you need to thank God for Kelly Jankowski because her words were life to my soul. They brought healing to my bones and revived my faith to believe that God could still do something significant with my life. 
Listen, it is the nature of anything life-giving to produce more life. Life-giving words produce more life-giving words. And as I started to believe the words that Kelly spoke over my life, and listen, as I think now about what I get to do and the new life that's happening here at Life Church Buffalo, the life change that is experiencing as a result of the life-giving words that God has given me the privilege and the responsibility to communicate week in and week out, none of those words would I ever have spoken if Kelly had not spoken life-giving words to me when I didn't believe God could do anything with my life. There's power in our words. Are your words life-giving or are they life-taking? Who in your life needs sweetness in their soul, needs some healing in their spirit that you have the ability to speak some life-giving words into? Make it a rule that you'll live this way. Whenever you think something good, don't rob them of the blessing of withholding that. Let it out, say it, send them a text, give them a phone call. When you see them in person, just let them know what they mean to you. Every time you think something good, say it. You wanna change your relationships? Speak life-giving words. You wanna change your marriage? I guarantee you, if you start speaking life-giving words every time you think something good to your spouse, your marriage will look different in a year from now, I promise you. I promise you. If you think something good, say it. And this doesn't just apply to other people. This applies to ourselves as well. Like, don't just encourage other people. You gotta encourage yourself. And you guys need to understand that I gotta do this for my life too. Sometimes I preach to myself. When I start getting down or discouraged or that old man starts trying to resurrect itself and tell me everything I'm not and that I'll never be and I can't do this and I'll never see that, like I gotta remind myself who I am in Christ, that he has called me, he has equipped me, he has anointed me, that I am the father and the husband that my boys and my wife need me to be. I preach to myself, encourage myself, and I would encourage you to do the same, that when, when life starts falling apart around you, even when other people aren't there to speak life-giving words to you, you've got to encourage yourself. You need to do what King David did in 1 Samuel. There was a time when David made a big mistake, and it cost him dearly, and his men turned on him and wanted to stone him. And one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture to me is found in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, when it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You guys, that is, there's so much power in that that when, when life is crumbling around you, his men wanted to stone him here. When, there are pe- when the people in your life turn against you and no one is speaking life-giving words to you, you have the power and the ability to encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself. Affirming, positive, life-giving words. Not just so that you can do it yourself, but so that God can do it through you. We do encourage ourselves in the Lord. I heard one preacher say it this way. Like, if you want to see it, say it. If you want to see it, say it. And I want to clarify this because this has been twisted and manipulated in the church over the years to come up with a false gospel. I am not talking about like, well, I want to see a Maserati in my garage then in Jesus' name. I want to see it, therefore I say it. That is crap. I'm just saying that right now. I'm not talking about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, some false prosperity gospel. It's garbage. 
I'm talking about saying the things that are in alignment with the truth of God's character and nature and the truth of his word. If you want to see it in your life, say it out loud. God, I believe you're going to work in my marriage. Jesus said, if you speak to the mountain, he didn't say, if you talk about the mountains, he said, if you speak to the mountain with faith, it will be removed. God told the prophet Ezekiel, if you prophesy to the dead bones, he didn't say talk about the dead bones. He said, prophesy to them that life would come on them. So my question to you is what mountain, what obstacle is in your life today? What dead thing is in your life today? Too many of us are in the habit of talking all about the problems in our life, but we don't talk to them. If you want to see it, say it. God, I believe that as I submit myself to the principles of your word, live beneath my means, honor you with the first fruits, I believe you're going to help us get out of debt. If you want to see it, say it. What do you want to see in your life? What do you need to say to see it become a reality? God, I believe that as I pray for this person in faith, you are going to heal them because by your stripes we are healed. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ who loves me and gave himself for me. He always leads me in triumph. Therefore, I will overcome this obstacle and this addiction. If you want to see it in your life, say it. Too many of us say what we see rather than saying what we want to see. We talk about our present reality. I didn't say this in any of the first two services, but I just feel led to say this. You will find what you're looking for. Are you a vulture or are you a hummingbird? Both are birds. What do vultures do? They circle and circle looking for what? Looking for dead things. And they find it. What do hummingbirds do? They fly around looking for what? Sweet things. And they find it. You will find what you're looking for. Whatever you want to see in your life, whatever big life change that you're believing God to do in your life, you say it out loud. Because the power of life and death is in the words that we speak. So I want to encourage you this week. The homework that I gave you last week was to write down one thought that you would dwell on and focus on over and over again. Turn that thought into a declaration that you say out loud. Say it a hundred times. Say it a thousand times this week. Every day, all day. My thought is my statement that I gave you last week, which comes from my word from Joshua 3, 5, consecrate. That's my word this year that I'm focusing on and declaring over my life. So my statement is that in every area of my life, I am consecrated to the Lord. Therefore, I will see him do amazing things in my life, in my body, in my family, and in my church this year. That is the declaration I'm stating over my life every single day. So what truth do you need to declare over your life? If you wanna see it, say it. I would also encourage you to maybe look up an old message that I preached two years ago this month. We did a series in January of 2017 called Good Intentions. The first week of that series was a message called Words to Live By, which just elaborates the power of this principle here of destroying and tearing down the, the strongholds of our life that have kept us prisoner and instead declaring principles and the truths and the promises of God's word over our lives. Words to live by that you would declare out loud over your life every single day that my marriage is getting better every single day. With Christ's help, it's getting stronger. My kids are growing in faith. God's hand of favor is upon them. My body is a temple. It is the dwelling place where the Holy Spirit lives. Therefore, I am getting healthier and stronger every single day. If you want to keep the change this year, change the words you speak. 
Because small changes in the words we speak lead to big differences in the life that you live. If you can't say something helpful, skip it. If you think something good, say it. And if you want to see it, say it. Because your words have the power of life and death. But why? Why do our words have so much power? It's because we are made in the image of God. In the beginning, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He created them. We are made in his likeness who formed the world with his word. It says, in the beginning, God said, let there be. God said, let there be. He spoke the world into existence with his word. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 11.3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. The visible was made by the invisible. He wanted to see it, so he said it. And you guys, we are made in our heavenly Father's image. We have his thumbprint on us. We have his spiritual DNA in who he made us to be. That's why our worlds are framed by our words. So if you want to change what you see in the frame of your world, change the words that you speak. The power of life and death is in the tongue because we're made in the image of a God who spoke the world into existence. You guys, you need to get this and understand the power of the words that you speak over your life. If you want to reframe your world, change the words you speak. So why not let some of your words be the word? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When you hear the word of God, it changes. We said it last week, Romans 12, be transformed, be changed by renewing your mind, by changing the way you think. Speak the word of God over your life. That's why it's so important to say it out loud. Because when your ears hear your voice speaking the truth, of God's word, it begins to change how you think. And the more you change how you think, the more it changes the words you speak and it just builds on each other. So my, my prayer for you as I close today is actually a prayer that the apostle Paul first prayed over the church at Ephesus. And this is my heart for you on this subject. I know it was penned 2000 years ago, but I want you to hear this as if it's, this is my benediction. This is my, my prayer. This is my declaration over you. Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 18 says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner beings so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It says that in the beginning was the word. It says that he framed the world's with his word. Who is the word? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus and he's praying that Christ, the word may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people 
to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You guys, this is so much more than just a mental understanding. This is something you have to experience. That is a knowledge that surpasses knowledge when you experience it in the core of your being. And he prays all of that. This is what I pray, that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You guys, my finite mind cannot comprehend how it's possible for us as finite human beings to be filled to the measure of the fullness of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. But that's why I pray that by the power of His Holy Spirit, you would grasp the depth of His great love for you, that Christ, the Word, would dwell in your hearts through faith, and that as you are filled to the measure of the fullness of God, the Word of God would come out of your mouth and would frame your world to become something that the world would look at and see, I want what you've got because you're different. The things that happen around you, they don't affect you. Yeah, you might be sad, but you still have hope. It's because the fullness of God dwells in us. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer. If you can't say something helpful, skip it. If you think something good, say it. And if you want to see it, say it. Not as a means to add more stuff to your life so that you can just, no, 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 I'm talking about like letting your life become a reflection of the king we serve and his kingdom because there's a world around you that desperately needs to know that there is hope for them. So Heavenly Father, I pray for your people right now. And Lord, what I feel inadequate to do at times in unpacking the power of your word. I pray that by your Holy Spirit right now in this moment, God, you would open our eyes. You would open our ears. You would open our minds to see and hear and know and understand the depth of the the greatest love that has ever existed. Lord, that you would fill us up right now by your Holy Spirit, with the fullness of God. And Lord, we just say right now that we repent for the times that we have spoken life-taking words to others and to ourselves. Lord, help us as believers and followers of Jesus to exercise self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit lives in us. Therefore, we have the ability to bridle our tongue, to choose the words we speak. And when we're tempted to speak negative, critical, cutting thoughts, when we're tempted to gossip about other people, God, I pray that you would check us, that you would convict us, Lord, and that we would only say things that are helpful to build others up, that it may benefit them according to their needs. Lord, forgive us for speaking so negatively of your creation. For those of us that just have such a negative self-image of ourselves, God, help us to see that we're your son, we're your daughter. When we doubt the product, we insult the manufacturer, and we don't want to insult who you made us to be. You made us on purpose and for a purpose. So help us instead to celebrate the unique gifts and talents that you've placed within each of us and that we would begin to live out of the reality of who we are in Christ as sons and daughters who've been adopted into his family. We are royalty. We are a priesthood. We are a holy nation. 
who have a spiritual inheritance. Help us to carry ourselves and see ourselves and speak like people who are royalty because that's who we are. And this morning, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're sitting here and you know that the change you need to make in your life is to start a relationship with Jesus, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. This is not a self-help message, although it will help you improve your life. But at the end of the day, any changes we make in our life, if it's absent, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit isn't going to result in lasting change. And it will not fill the void in your life. That no matter what you try to fill it with, money, women, success, career, prestige, whatever it is, it will not satisfy only a relationship with your creator, your heavenly father, is going to give you that fulfillment and that purpose that you're desperately searching for. And if you're ready to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers by placing your faith and your trust in him, then with all heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just simply lift up your hand? Let me know so we can pray together. Does anybody here want to begin a relationship with Jesus? I see that hand over here on the right. Is there anybody else? see that hand over here on the left. One more time, right up here. God bless you. I'm proud of you. Church, I don't want anybody praying alone. So will you join those? We pray these words out loud after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, the word, to become flesh. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Lord, I surrender my life to you. It's not my own. Be my Savior and my Lord. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to believe your word so that I can follow you and serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you that your word over me is welcome home. God, I just pray for your people. I pray that you'd seal this work and any negative word that has been spoken over them in the past, I just renounce right now and I declare a better word over you. I say that you are a prized and cherished son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now live out of that reality and that identity and may your words be in agreement with the word and let us live as people who will let the world know that there is a better way, that there is a God who loves them. God, we just seal this in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen and amen. Church, can we put our hands together and make some noise to welcome three more people who just joined the family of God. So awesome.